everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I'm an author, a writer, and a lover of pretty much everything outdoor-related. And I'm Peter Glassford, Molly's co-host here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I am a kinesiologist uh, specializing in helping endurance athletes do awesome things. And yeah, our, our job here is to help you do awesome things, whether that's on a bike or rock climbing or any sort of different sports. Um, today, we have John Beverly with us, who's written a book called Your Best Stride. Yeah, John is a longtime editor from Running Times Magazine, uh, well, now defunct Running Times Magazine, as we get into in the podcast. Uh, the book is awesome. I couldn't actually get it out of Peter's hands once I handed it over to him to read. Um, super, super easy, I think, to understand read that gets a lot into the science of our running stride, but a lot of practical info as well. Um, so super enjoyable, and he he goes into a lot about the science of your stride and your mobility and everything, but it's not so sciencey that you walk away without having any idea what to do next. Yeah, I think he does a good job of laying out sort of your your approach and how you would go about you know, improving mobility or, you know, what to do, what's important as far as run stride. We hear a lot of things like cadence and stride length and, you know, are you plodding along or are you sort of really quickly sort of pitter-pattering on the, the ground and stuff and what's optimal and what needs to be changed. And I think there's still a lot of debate as far as running uh, stride and, and stride length and cadence and cues certainly and what works for different people. But I think the important thing is if you are having trouble with running or, you know, you're someone up in Canada, it's an important thing for cyclists, I think, to be able to run and a lot of other sports, certainly running is important. And if you find that you're not able to train as much as you'd like to or at all with running, often there's maybe something that you need to change in your approach to it. You know, it's a skill just like anything, you know, you're going to try and hit a tennis ball and, you know, there'll be different cues and approaches you're going to take. Um, but the important bit is if something's not working that you're, you know, going to look out at, okay, well, if you're having shoulder pain in that tennis stroke or, you know, if you're just not hitting the ball in that tennis stroke, which might be the case if you're not a great runner, you're not moving forward very efficiently, mm-hmm. um, you know, then you can change something. And so that's what we get into today with, and certainly that's what his book goes into as well. Yeah. And thankfully we read all of that before we embarked on our crazy drive from Ontario out to Canmore, Alberta, where Peter has mountain bike nationals in a few days. And then we head on to BC for Ironman, which is exciting, but we pretty much just stepped out of the car as we're recording this. Um, It's been a really long few days in there. So I know my hips are definitely feeling pretty tight. So some of the mobility work that he talks about, I think will be very helpful. Yeah, and I think the other interesting bit is really talking about the upper body, you know, whether what are your hands doing, what are your arms doing when you're running, um, and then also what about shoulder mobility when you're running? You know, we think they just sort of are there at the sides, but it's very important you're able to sort of bring that arm behind you um, to counteract that leg going behind you, and a lot of people, the struggle they have with running is that all their limbs, you know, whether that's hips being tight from sitting, if you think about your sitting posture, and then also the fact that your typing posture, your cell phone posture, everything we do is in front of us. We don't have a lot of that sort of elbows going behind us, like if you're going to elbow someone behind you. So we talk a bit about that, and it's sort of a surprising thing I, I found, sort of thinking even when I'm out running, sometimes I'll shift my focus um, to those arms and sort of how my arms are, you know, the speed and cadence the arms are turning over, but also sort of how I'm holding them, which we talk about, and then also sort of how those arms are, are coming back. Yeah, I almost wish we had done a video of us doing this interview because I think like as he's talking, you see my posture slowly go from my normal like slumped over at the computer to like kind of guiltily like sitting up straighter and starting to do some lunges while we're talking and yeah, yeah, I think anything you can do to sort of mix it up like that is going to be beneficial. It's not that one one posture is necessarily bad. Certainly, any endurance sport we do is in that that posture at least to some degree so um, that's it but I think for a lot of us finding something that we can then do to help us add variety to that day right so that could be some of these quick mobility things we talk about warm-up for the running Um, so I think a lot of takeaways and again if you're not super into running there's some good takeaways as far as mobility drills that you know are just as beneficial for someone who's playing ultimate frisbee or riding bikes or I was gonna say when it comes to the consummate athlete I think running might be one of the foundational 
things that you're going to need to at least kind of be able to do at in some order level, to yeah i mean that's going to be a limiter ultimately you know when we get back to this consummate athlete concept it's you know what are the key skills that you need and certainly that running and walking or you know you're not going to get very far certainly literally in team yeah and certainly in team sports and stuff yeah um but i mean even in, in cycling there's a lot of disciplines cyclocross mountain biking that involve a fairly substantial amount of walking and running and interacting and so if you don't have that base just ability to run 10 steps or 30 seconds mm -hmm. um you know so that that's an important component and then, you know again it could be included into just your strength routine you include some sprints or something like that you know to sort of augment and get some power production and you know that's going to transfer over again so you can sort of do more sports so i think this is a very good episode to listen to whether you're think you want to get into running but hopefully by the end you're a little more amped about doing a bit of running yeah all right, let's get into it. Before we do, I will note we're about to record another Q&A episode. So if you have a question for Peter or myself, or you'd even rather hear an expert's take on it, we would love to hear it. Just go to consummateathlete.com and there's a contact form. So just leave your question with us and we'll definitely add it to the roster. All right, let's get into it. All right, welcome back to the Consummate Athlete. We're very excited today. We have John Beverly with us, uh, who was the editor-in-chief for Running Times for 15 years. Um, and this last year, so he's spent, or I think it was three years even, has spent working on this awesome book that we're going to talk about today called Your Best Stride. Um, and it's a fabulous book. It goes into exercises, but it talks about sort of misconceptions and, and issues that are around sort of the, the concept of running stride and running in general. And I think a lot of people have probably tuned in or, you know, have tried running or are injured runners or have had surgeries due to running or all sorts of things. And I know certainly that is the type of population I deal with is people who have left running for cycling and, and will never go back. But we're excited to have John on today to talk about how we might find enjoyment in running and or better performance in running. So John, welcome. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Peter, so, I'm worried all your clientele is just going to go right back to running after they hear oh, I'm this. I'm okay with that. It's <laughs> simpler in some ways. <laughs> um, so John, what we'd like to start with is just, you know, what's these days, what uh, does a day in your, in your life look like? What are you, what are you up to? Uh, it's an interesting question. I was thinking about it when you, you uh, brought it up, and, and it changes throughout the year because I am a coach. So these days, summertime, I, uh, I get up about 5.30 and head into town, um, and I tell the kids that I coach that I'll be at school at 6.15 every morning. So whoever wants to show up, we, we do a run, uh, and then I head back out. I live 10 miles outside of town um, on an old farmhouse on the border of Nebraska and Colorado. So um, end up in my office, which is a little outbuilding, and sit and write, write for most of the day. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then later afternoon, I try to get out again myself a little bit for, for something, either a, either a run or, or sometimes mountain biking. Nice. Oh, nice. Um, and now what are you coaching? You're coaching running, like a track and field program? I touch I touched the cross country program. Yes, at our local high school. Okay, okay. Um, interesting. Now, as far as your sporting career, you're talking about mountain biking. There, what else have you done yeah. uh, in your life? I guess, like, where did you start, and you know, where did the love yeah. for running? You've obviously spent a lot of time talking and writing and thinking about running and and doing it. Don't, don't forget the actual. Probably, I mean, people. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I. I'm kind of an accidental athlete, I guess you might say. Um, it, it's I interesting. I, I, I was I was looking at your at your website of you know what the, the consummate athlete, and it's like the total opposite of what you would have considered me. And I think what you consider <laughs> most runners, I, I have sometimes uh, my wife calls cross country the island of misfit toys. You know, it's all it's all the people who uh, who aren't the athletes often end up on the cross country program, and I was one of those. Um, I was I was young. I had skipped third grade. I was small. I was unathletic, weak. Uh, I mean, everything you, the total nerd, you know, the total package. <laughs> but I, uh, I fortunately went out for cross country my freshman year. Um, 
I was so small that people would come out and say, look at the little kid running with a cross-country program. <laughs> but I was tenacious. I uh, found out pretty quickly that, you know, if you, if you stick with it and you, and you work at it, you can improve in, in running in, in ways that I, I didn't think I could improve. Other, I think I've learned now later in life that I probably could have been more athletic if, I, if somebody had, had helped me. But, but at the time, you know, uncoordinated, weak, small running was the thing. And, and all you had to do was run harder and run longer you know, and, mm-hmm. and you got better. Now, what made you uh, it, make that initial decision to go out for cross country? Because as a fellow nerd and non-athlete uh, in her youth, nothing would have propelled me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't really know. Why. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was, I grew up in rural Maine, so I was outdoorsy. I knew I could go, you know, I knew I could run in the sense of, you know, just run through the woods and climb trees and that type of thing. So, so I'm not sure why why I, I started, but it, it was very quickly. I had a great coach. I had a coach that wasn't about winning championships, although she did have some individual uh, champions and and a good team. But but it was about running and about she, she loved it. It was first running booms, 1977. She had bought into the idea that running is is something joyful and and worth doing, and and imparted that to all of us. Um, so much so, she used to take me to, to road races during the summer and by my junior year I ran a marathon at 16 years old my junior oh, wow. year in high school so I, yeah I, I, I bought in really really quickly to the this thing that I could and besides the, the the potential for success again success was limited I never made an individual state team I did on on the cross as part of the cross-country team a few times and then and then kept going longer but I love the escape I love being able to head out and nine mile loop around the island I lived on and just be be out and be by myself I'm curious you say you if perhaps it was different and someone had you know pointed you in a different direction um, you know you might have found another sport is there do you have opinions or, or thoughts on you know what is missing in, in that development system sort of I guess in general not for running but in sport it's, it's sort of an area I'm always curious about and sort of the exposure to sport. Um, right. Well, I couldn't have done anything about size. So basketball was probably out <laughs> and, and football out. So maybe, maybe not. But what's interesting uh, in writing this book, and we can get into that, but and then in the work I've done, what I've learned in doing the book, I feel more athletic as a 53-year-old than I did as a, you know, as a 14-year-old because of, I think, because of core strength and balance and and some of the corrections that I've been able to do. Um, and I think that's a lot of it with, with uh, the weakness of, of young athletes that if somebody helped them become just more, more of an athlete, I think balance is a big part of it. Uh, and being able to, to, to carry yourself in, in an athletic manner mm-hmm. would, would have been pretty huge. And, and I think, and then that would probably helped with you know, skills like basketball and things too. That you, once you, once you get yourself moving more more properly, you know, more more the way you were born to move, mm-hmm. then you can probably you can focus on other things, and and the the coordination issues would go away too. Right. Yeah. That's a theory. I don't know. I haven't I haven't worked on it. But. No, I, I think you're right. I think the question then is, you know, how do you get kids into, you know, you mentioned running and climbing trees and stuff like I think many of our issues is probably that we're not doing that as much younger so then the question Mm -hmm. is what do we do about that you know in a school can you provide you know some sort of movement class like is that what gym has to become i'm I'm not sure either but but anyway so you you did running times for 15 years as the the editor-in-chief and you ended up with your best stride have you always been really interested in sort of the dynamics of running or when did that start that's a good question, and it and it started, I think, with with the minimalist movement. I, I, I mean, I started seventy like seven, and we didn't talk about form at all. It's, you just run, you run more, and you get better, which there is some truth to. Um, but when when people started talking about barefoot running, I it, it made sense to me. I, I had you know I'd been around elite athletes, I'd been to Kenya. Um, Pretty significantly, um, the 2004 World Cross Country Championships, the only 
you know, Westerner who who did well. Benita Johnson from Australia won the won the women's long course, and I interviewed her, and she's like, "Oh, I grew up on the beach in Australia, barefoot all the time." It's <laughs> like, so, okay, there is something to this in terms of movement, in terms of barefoot, mm-hmm. and, and and that that we can correct. We we that's the way we're supposed to move. Um, so we started looking at that, and then as people, you know fail to fail to uh, adapt because they t- threw away their shoes or wore vibrams uh, in writing times we started looking at what okay what what's happening here and some of the top physical therapists like jay dashari and, and some people like mark kukuzela he's a, a motion person a physician in in uh in the carolinas it, we did a piece called are you ready for minimal which is it's kind of the pre- precursor of what ended up in the book is you know you, your body has to be ready to do this movement. Just putting mm-hmm. on the shoes isn't going to change. Isn't going to change you. And then, of course, you know, minimalism collapsed as fast as it fast as it started. I mean, yeah. it, was, it, it was a 2012 Born to Run came out or 10, 10 around there. And within two years, I mean, the Vibram lawsuit. Everybody said, you know, okay, they were all wrong. I mean, people were were gleeful that it ended because I think it, it went too far. Rather than people saying, this is how you can become. It was. If you're, you know, if you're a heel striker, it's like you're you're learning impaired. <laughs> that, yes. And, <laughs> and your only choice was to either say uh, I'm I'm uncoordinated or I'm or I'm not I'm not willing to work, you know, to to do this. And I think that was wrong. I mean, they they did go too far, and 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 it became and so people were happy to see it end to say, well, look, they were all wrong. You know, I, I I'm a heel striker and I'm proud of it. And <laughs> and they threw everything out. I mean, they threw the whole all that we learned out too. I mean, it was just like, okay, go back and buy your overbuilt motion control shoe and don't think about form anymore. And so that's when I started this research to say, you know, okay, what, what do we know? What, what, okay, if, if one study one week comes out and says four foot striking is more efficient, one study comes out the next week and said four foot striking is less efficient and you can't change anything, what, 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 what do we know? What can we change or what can we do to run better because I do believe we should be able to run comfortably and and efficiently that, that it is not it, it's not right that people are getting injured all the time and, and that running is a painful thing and so I just started to research as many people I talked to somebody every day from physical therapists elite coaches elite athletes biomechanists podiatrists and said what is the key what what is the core here that we I can say you know if I was going to say one thing that everybody could do so they could run better. And that ended up in an article called It's All in the Hips in uh, in April of 14 in, in Running Times, which went viral. It was one of the best articles we've ever put out. That's awesome. So, so uh, what, what so was then, the one thing so, about the hips? What was the one thing about the hips is that because of our lifestyles, because we start, people, you start to sit, you know, at, at, at least by about four. And I think that seems to be the, somewhere the, you know, like four or five when you start school. You watch kids before that on the playground, and they're on one side of the playground and they want to run to the other. They just jump up and they levitate, you know, <laughs> they just mm-hmm. fly over there. Um, and then you go, you, you start, you know, coaching a nine year old soccer program, and they all are compromised somehow. Um, and I think what happened is they started sitting eight hours a day or more. Um, and so what happened to the hips is that they got permanently flexed so that they, you know, the knees are, are flexed towards the body. And that eventually you, it shortens your hip flexors and turns off your glutes in the back. And so you end up in this sort of sitting position all the time, even when you're standing, even when you're running. And, and because of that, then you're, you're, that's when you overstride. Because your feet can't go backwards behind your body, they have to go forward. If they go forward, they're going to land in front of you, and they're going to land in the heel. And so all all of these things, the where you strike, where you strike on your foot, where you stride in relation to your body, all of it is based on this hinge at the hip, not on some. You, know, you, did, you didn't learn bad habits or just wear bad shoes. Your 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 mechanics don't work properly. Mm-hmm. Now you talking- so if you can get your hips to work. Sorry, Sorry. Um, I was going to say, yep. I think that's where you were going anyhow. So yep. if we, we end up with these issues like overstriding or heel striking, um, possibly perhaps then the, the usual, 
um, or typical advice is one of either cadence adjustment um, or, or some sort of foot placement. Um, and you make mm-hmm. the argument in the book, I think, very eloquently that that's sort of more the result um, of the things you've just discussed in the, the it's all on the hips. Um, so can you sort of touch on that? Like why, you know, starting maybe with cadence or, or a, a foot placement might be uh, the wrong place to be looking, I guess, for these adjustments? Yeah, and this was probably the most fascinating part to me once I got into this research because... Like you said, all everybody was focused on on the end, at the end of the chain here, on, on the foot strike and and on cadence. Um, and what I heard repeatedly, you know, from people, I mean, as as eminent as Daniel Lieberman, who wrote the original Nature article, Born to Run, that you know, okay, foot strike is is the end of the chain, and the worst thing you can do is to tell somebody to try to land on their forefoot uh, because if you try to one thing you're probably going to do something weird and wonky and i'm sure you've seen it particularly at the minimalist movement people going barefoot or in vibrams who who the dynamics don't work but they're still trying to land on their forefoot so they're doing this sort of prancing stride in front of them this is tiny these tiny steps with you know and and it's it you're right there's not much impact there but there also isn't much propulsion it's just sort of this pitter patter out in front of their body um but even less less dramatic than that is if you try to change the foot strike or the cadence before you've improved. The other thing after the hips that I've added in the book, I think, is the upper body too. Uh, it, it goes together. But once you get your, your hips rotated properly and flexible enough so your legs can go behind your body, you also have to get your shoulders, again, flexible and back enough again this is part of our lifestyle Uh, hunched over our laptops hunched over our computers reaching forward driving everything is bringing our shoulders forward where a natural stride the shoulders are 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 what feels like back but just balanced and our arms are able to come behind our body as well a lot of people can't physically do that or if you do it it's it's strained it's it's uncomfortable and you don't do it for very long so that's part of the balance too if you try to increase your cadence before you get get those things right, you're probably just going to again do uh, you're going to do an over quick stride with still reaching in front of you, and so either you're sort of pulling hard, or you're you're picking up too quickly in the back and or <laughs> and and you're still using your hamstrings that you know picking up quickly and and torquing the lower part of your leg rather than letting the leg fly back and. And the glute is is you know, moving the whole leg backwards, so you end up with it with a distorted mechanics, um, which gets to another point: is that anytime you you try to think about a change like this, the the body has has its own internal mechanisms, subconscious mechanisms for finding the optimal, the most efficient way of doing it. Um, so. It, it's trying to find the best way to do it with the body you have now. So, I mean, the, the argument, one of the arguments is that the body can, body will find its own best stride. And the experts across the board say this, the podiatrist, the physical therapist, the biomechanist, that you know, the body has its own way, which means everybody's stride is different too. You're not trying to, to emulate somebody else's stride. You're trying to find your best stride. So it'll find its own best way. But you can't just say, okay, well, then don't don't do anything because it'll find the best way for the body you have right now. And if that body is compromised with with tight hips and hunched shoulders and weak glutes and weak uh, lats, you know that it, it will still find the most efficient way to do that. If you think about it, doing something different, it's going to be more costly. It's going to be less economical um, way to run. So you have to you have to change the parameters. Mm-hmm. You have to change the system. And then the body will find it its best way. Um, and once you do change, I mean, I, I see it myself. I see it in kids I coach. Once you do change the parameters, and then and then you go out and you run and you do things like barefoot striders and and drills and different things to to shake shake the systems up, get out of the ruts. That you, you then you do start having a, a more midfoot strike or you don't heel strike is is there's nothing wrong with heel strike as long as it's a it's a you know. A, quick, light, proprioceptive strike that you're, you know, you're just sort of kissing the ground on the way by. I and mean, some of the top runners in the world do that. 
Yeah. Um, but 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 it's more balanced. It's the, the it's more four foot weighted stride, um, and and then a quicker stride. And, and the quicker stride is a natural result of this balanced uh, light light uh, posture you have now. Not not just forcing it. Not thinking about it. Hey everybody, we're going to take a quick pause from this podcast to talk to you a little bit about Health IQ. So Health IQ is a life insurance company that promotes a health conscious lifestyle through financial rewards. Health IQ has special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, and other health conscious people. So what's cool is that they've used science and data to get lower rates on life insurance for those of us that are health conscious, including people who exercise four times a week, whether that's cycling, weightlifting, swimming, running, etc. Research has shown that people who are highly active through exercise have 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart disease risk, and 34% lower risk of early death. I'd high five you, but that sound doesn't come out very well with the microphone, so air five. Um, the other really cool thing about Health IQ is that they've actually replaced BMI with a waist to hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease uh, when it comes to those of us with the slightly more muscular builds, I'll say. So, yeah, I mean, also just on the one-on-one basis. BMI is good on population basis. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. But if you've ever been told you were built like a brick house, right. Right. Uh, this is especially good for you. <laughs> so many people don't realize that they can get these uh, special rates with Health IQ or just generally on their, their life insurance. So if you qualify through the Health IQ quizzes, which you can find on their website, you also get additional savings by submitting actual data, such as race results, Strava, RunKeeper, or other app data. I love that, by the way. Finally, Strava has become useful for something. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's good we're collecting all this data for something. Yeah, pretty exciting. Anyhow, learn more and get a quote on life insurance at healthiq.com slash capod. Again, that's healthiq.com slash capod. And just by getting a quote, you're helping out the podcast and helping us get better audio and, and hopefully helping yourself get some lower rates and, you know, maybe learn something on some of these fun quizzes. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, it's interesting. That just made me think about, um, I guess, one of the misconceptions that comes from reading Born to Run, because I was about to be like, oh, well, he like just changes his whole stride in the beginning of it. And then I was like, Actually, no, it was like over the course of months, but you read Born to Run in, you know, a day and you sort of assume that you can just switch to barefoot and start doing the, you know, perfect run stride or whatever. And I think that's where a lot of people got into trouble reading that book. Yeah, I agree. And and I do think that there are some people that, you know, they put on the minimal shoes and they took the time and that did cue the changes that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there are several studies that say that show that the majority of the population will not will not adapt. I mean, just changing the shoes isn't going to make you more efficient. That you have yeah. to do something else. You, you you're physically like I said, if your hip flexors are, are are shortened such that you can't have hip extension, which is having your knee go behind your hip, doesn't matter what shoe you wear. You're not going to be able to run lightly and and quickly that way. Yeah, I mean, if you've worn stilettos to work and sat at a desk every day for eight (laughs) hours for 20 years, it's probably, yeah, not a safe bet that switching to Vibrams is just going to magically cure all ills. And and that might be a good segue, John, maybe talk a bit about shoe type um, was definitely one of the areas I wanted to go. Um, And and you talk Mm -hmm. about, you know, you, you mentioned sort of the super control shoe. We have the Vibram five finger, very minimal shoe. Is it you know, everyone has their type of shoe. Should we be going into the, the shoe store and getting, you know, our foot assessed by the all-knowing shoe salesman? <laughs> um, you know, how do we navigate that uh, that world? You know, someone wants to start running again, has had some knee injuries. You know, how do we go from no running shoes, you know, and, and see success? Yeah, this is a really good topic. And interesting that this, the, some of the same people, the podiatrist and the, you know, the top the top researchers agree that one, I mean, they agree with the minimalist 
create that the, you should wear the least amount of shoe possible. Um, but it's the least amount of shoe you can get away with. And that second phrase is, is pretty important that you can get away with, um, that not everybody is capable of running barefoot or running in a Vibram or running in a racing flat. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not, it's not, it's not a judgment, but importantly, it's not also the, the old paradigms of, you know, pronation and motion control, um, pretty much can be thrown out the window that the one pronation is a natural movement and it happens at different levels for different people. I, I ran grandma's marathon a few weeks ago and I, at one point I saw this young woman coming by me like mile 20 running really strongly and she had a pair of Nike freeze or something that, that minimal and man pronation just just rolling all the way inward thing i mean somebody would have put her would have put her on a treadmill and said oh you need to wear a brooks beast you know but she was running fine at that level and that's what the you know the top podiatrist will tell you that yeah there is a point where you can over pronate such that it's damaging but nobody knows where that point is so i mean you can't you can't look at somebody and say oh you you pronate this many this many degrees and therefore you're pathological um you have to find what's what's right for you what feels right for you so again it goes along with the idea that your body knows what's best um ben onig is a, a biomechanical researcher he wrote the biomechanics of sports shoes swiss guy that that uh does research in, in Canada up there near you guys. Um, but I, I got to spend a, a, a day with him. Um, it was, and it was awesome. He, he's, he's been researching all this stuff since, since the fifties. And he says, you know, when I got into the field, the only thing I wanted to do was prove why pronation is bad and how we correct it. And at this point he's proposed that, you know, that the best way to choose a shoe is the comfort filter, he calls it. And and he's done research to show that if you find a shoe that feels right for you, and, and that's not just that, oh, this is cushy and it feels good. <laughs> you know, when you put it on the, in the store, it's you take it out for a run and, and everything falls right. Everything feels right. You know, it hits the ground where you want to. The, 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 the proprioception of how much cushioning and how much you know, rebound you have feels right. It flexes where you want to. It's, you know, it's holding your foot. It's just it feels like the right shoe for you. Everything feels smooth and right that you are just by choosing it that way, you run more economically and you're less likely to get injured. Um, so no matter what anybody says, you know, and I think a lot of people will then, you know, they might find a shoe like that. But then somebody tells them they have to have motion control and, and that feels clunky. And, and then there's you know this block on the inside. But they think they need that because their foot you know, over pronates. Or worse, the, other the shoe thing is company that, stops yeah. making them six months later and you can't get a new pair. You have to find new ones. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and which, yes, there's one that you, that there, there is that comfort filter, but also um, people, the, the, everyone advocates best to have multiple shoes because you feel different on different days. And, and also it does vary the stress. There is no perfect shoe for, for, for one person. But if you have multiple, it'll vary. It'll vary the way you move slightly, which gets back to the idea of your body constantly finding the optimal way to move. So if, especially if you're working on your me mechanics, your shoe's probably going to change, and and you should expect that. And related to that, John, you talk about you know a, a shoe. So you're talking about for different days. So maybe your long run on pavement has a certain shoe, or just you know you're alternating shoes back and forth. But you also talk about during the day, maybe going shoeless, you know, certainly in the house, but then also maybe, you know, out on the grass gardening or something. Um, can you speak more yeah. to that? Sort of like a, the, the picking the right shoe for the, the purpose almost, right? Yes, for sure. <clears throat> and I think that's probably the, as far as barefooting, very few people can or should run barefoot. But we, all the top, all the, all the experts agree that we need to get out of shoes, that shoes do weaken our feet. And again, that's just one place that minimalism was correct, that I mean, a, a control shoe or the whole idea of arch support is contrary to what the arch is, is designed for. It, it is a supportive device. I mean, if you, if you have a bridge with an arch and you put, you put something under that arch, you're, you're weakening the arch, actually. I mean, and even more so in the dynamic system, I mean, wearing, wearing supportive shoes from the time you were a kid is like like having a tree that you've always had braced up I mean, the roots won't grow as strong if if it doesn't have resistance I mean, that's it needs the resistance it needs the strengthening so to your point get out of your shoes as much as you can i mean um and ben Onig also was really 
big on this when I talked to him about the idea of, of foot strengthening. He, he's more than he comes from podiatry background, so it makes sense. But um, he says if if something's wrong with a tower, you don't look at the fiftieth floor. And and he reluctantly agreed that. Well, I said, well, if if the hundredth floor is kicked over by hundred feet, then you do say there's something wrong up top. You know, you're going to have trouble with the balance. But but he he said, you know, the foundation is where you really need to, to work on. And and he advocates doing you know to foot exercises like you know, pulling pulling things with your toes, you know, pulling a towel with your toes, or even just like pushing against the side of your desk back and forth, you know, strengthening your feet, strengthening your ankles, because that's the balance point. Um, and, and if you, if those aren't strong, again, as he says, your body will find its preferred movement pattern, but it'll find it with a compromised system. So instead of using the, the tiny muscles in your feet, they act really quickly to balance cues. You has to use a, a bigger muscle up, you know, up around in your Achilles and around your calf, that takes longer to react, so it has to react harder, and it's not designed to do that. And you end up with you know, Achilles tendonitis or shin splints, or some of these other things are, are a result of your feet being weak. So at least shoe as you can, and particularly when you're not running, you know, to get to get out of shoes that that one oversupport your foot, and then two that also cramp your foot. And the other. The other side of the podiatry question is is mm-hmm. what's happening with our big toe, with our big toe and our forefoot. You talked about stilettos. I mean, that's the the, the biggest, the, you know, the extreme yeah. example. But almost almost every shoe pushes our toes together. That's fashion in, in 20th century America or your Western cultures. Is that it's pointed? You know, the toe comes pointed, whereas the foot isn't actually shaped that way. So we end up particularly with our big toe pushed in. And when that gets pushed in, you can't form your arch properly, and you can't push off properly. And so that's all compromised. Something else you need to, to correct for in order to have your body stride the way it's meant to stride. Yeah, for sure. Peter and I have a lot of uh, Vivo barefoot shoes for, like, casual use. And I admit nice. it took me, like, a, a couple of years. I'm still getting used to it now. The, like kind of duck foot look that you get from having the <laughs> forefoot wide enough to actually fit your foot <laughs> compared yeah. to, you know, everybody in their stylish boots and heels and stuff. And I'm like in these flat footed, like, wide toed shoes. Um, but my feet are in much better shape. So no, no real complaints. Um, the one thing I was really That's curious awesome. about asking is I, in cycling, I've been hearing about this a lot and I know it's, it's also a thing in running uh, custom insoles. There's now so many different apps where like if you take pictures of your feet, they do like 3D printing and like make crazy insoles for shoes now. Where, what are your feelings on that? I, my, my gut reaction is that it's, it's somewhat more of a gimmick than a reality, but I would go again with, with Benonig's comfort filter. If if you got some and they made you, it, it felt better, it felt right while you're running, mm-hmm. um, then there's nothing wrong with it. But but I'd be again leery to say sort of this is this is going to correct all your problems for sure. Yeah. Um, but, or even that even that's going to be beneficial. That that you if it fits exactly to the bottom of your foot. One thing is that in terms of cushion, it's true that contour. And cushion are almost almost identical. You could have a, a stiff plate that's contoured perfectly, and it'll provide a cushioning effect because it spreads the force around. So, it, it could it could provide that that aspect. But then, if it oversupports your arch, it, you know, it might be detrimental. So you have to be, you have to be careful about that. Yeah, I'll say I fall on the side of gimmicky, partially because I haven't found one yet that actually like comes in the right size. Because when you're taking pictures of your foot, like on a piece of paper with your phone, and that's the method of measuring, it's not exact by any stretch. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Now, having said that, I I twisted my foot playing basketball with my son last Thanksgiving, and and I had a half marathon in a couple of weeks. I, Talk to what I have a lot of podiatrist friends now from doing this <laughs> research, but, um, and so Rob Cannella said, you know, well, you, it's probably you know having him described it and, and felt it that it's a ligament, um, so put some supports in, you know, and for the next two weeks, it, and I think we have to get over the idea that you know, it's either perfect or not. It, we're always a work in progress and mm-hmm. all of these things, and and if you need something to work, you know, for a while, 
good, good, <laughs> use <Yeah>. it. <laughs> you know, so, and I and and what I had was one of these, uh, I think it was a Weave, you know, WIVV, three D printed, the the half half foot art insert, and it worked perfectly. You know, just for a while to keep my foot from from having to flex too much. Okay. Awesome. So what I'm wondering here is, could we go through? Like I say, I deal with a lot of cyclists, and you know, it gets fall, winter in Canada, and so you know, being able to run is actually a huge asset for keeping, you know, fitness moving and workouts a little more enjoyable than riding indoors and stuff. Um, but inevitably the fit cyclist will then go and run a half marathon as their first run because they're fit. <laughs> they always run for 90 to two hours or they always ride for 90 to two hours. So I guess what I'm wondering is when you have someone, a newer runner, um, you know, what, what do those first couple months even look like as far as, you know, ramping up running and starting running? Yeah, that's a good question. And interesting, especially when you have somebody who's fit, but not running fit and, mm -hmm. and cyclists, as you know, are notoriously bad on, on the hips thing, right? You, you, the cycling motion doesn't use hip extension very much. Does it at all? Have you found? No. <laughs> no. Okay. No, like, it's basically worse than sitting like on a chair. But yeah, because you're, you're, you're even. Yeah, you're even more flexed, and you're you're flexed like forty five degrees rather than ninety, right? I mean, all the way or yeah, around. Yeah. So so you, you get off the bike and you're fit, and so you, you go to run, and you're probably running in that compromised position. Um, so I think. But for anybody, I mean, the first few weeks or months always is is getting out and getting uh, getting moving, getting used to running, um, and and a gradual build up. I think I mean the cyclist who goes and runs two and a half hours to start is um, hopefully not in pain. I mean probably the first time it feels all right, but then the second day they end up they feeling pretty sore and pretty compromised, but because they're an athlete, it's like, okay, I'm just going to go through that. And I think that's the, it's probably the key is that, you know, learning, learning by feel what your body can do, uh, not, not just on a day, but over the, over the week, over the cycle of recovery, you know, stress and recovery. So, yeah, starting out easy. Um, having said that, I think that every runner, even a new runner would benefit from doing some variety that, you know, even first time out, 10 seconds, just ramping up quick strides as fast as you can without straining. Um, some of those things that, that get full range of motion that maximize the neuromuscular connections of, of running efficiently. One of the things that I think that was wrong is that people you know, start out jogging and the jogging motion is a compromised sort of running motion. Um, and, and that becomes the default I see that with kids, you know, that, that if you, if you have them, you know, running across football field, they run pretty, pretty beautifully, you know, sort of a sprint or, or, or less than a sprint, but you tell them to go run a mile and they end up in, in a, a real sitting compromised position that that's sort of the, the jogging, slogging, you know, type mm -hmm. run. Um, people run, run better when they run faster. Um, and, but yeah, they can't to start, they can't run the whole thing faster, but you can run pieces faster, doing, doing some pickups, doing some, getting your body used to of an efficient, fast motion, and then, and then building up the, the skill, both, both aerobic endurance and postural endurance to be able to do that for the whole, the whole, the whole distance. And so you're almost talking possibly like a run walk versus just a slog, as you say, like you might even walk for four minutes and 50 seconds and then do a stride or something. Yeah. That, I think that would be better than, or you could do that. You could combine it. You know, you could do an easy mile, and then you could do a couple miles of of that walk run. Better than trying to 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 force the distance where you're you know you're hurting and you're and you're and you're compromised and you're barely moving, but but you're you're getting a run in. You know, mm -hmm. right, right. Um. I think cyclists have it tough because to them, like 50 mile rides are sort of, you know, not that big of a deal for like the really tough ones. But then, you know, a 10 mile run doesn't sound like much, but it'll level them. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've tried to go sort of walks and just, okay, this isn't like your main workout. You know, if they have time, we'll do two workouts in the day. They'll do something else. Like they'll ride, um, as well during that day, but, um, get them to go for a walk and then sort of get warm, maybe do some lunges or something like that as well. But then do a bit of like moderate sort of hill sprinting. And then that way the impact isn't quite as much obviously as downhill running, but um, it's a little yeah. more familiar to them because the motion's a little closer to the cycling motion. Um, yeah. and, th- and then over time, lengthening those out, maybe, as you say, the recoveries could become more of a jog in between in a park or something. Um, and then I guess the sur- surface would be another place, would it? Um, you know, some people get stuck on that road. But you know, as a cross-country right. coach, you know, you're dealing with potentially new runners, but they're generally on grass, I would think. They are. Uh, and surface is huge for a n- couple of reasons. It's, I mean, people think of it more in terms of, of cushioning. I, I don't think that's as important as variety, that it, it changes each foot strike, and um, which one varies the stress on, on different, different parts of the leg, different parts of the foot. So you're strengthening all throughout. You're not hitting the same muscle, the same tendon, same way the whole time. Um, and then second, it's allowing your body to to, to play with the stride and what's happening and, and then allowing it to find its optimal stride again, particularly as you're changing things. So, it, it, and I think one of the things I would say with a new runner that is probably different than most people have done is that from the beginning, they should start thinking about correcting some of these mechanics too, doing hip flexor stretches, as you said, doing lunges, doing squats. Um, and, and I think in terms of the walk, people tend to think of a walk as, is not athletic if they could think walking you can you can do a nice exaggerated hip extension walking even if you can't running yeah you know, that you're driving the leg backwards you're feeling your hip open up on the front and the glute work if they could think of the walk that way as a as a as a glute activation exercise rather than just easy you know you're out doing it then that could help Oh, I like that. Go out and do your glute activation exercises. Well, and that's the issue because a lot of people, because they're so tight, almost do. It almost is reminiscent of the forefoot running sort of suggestions of they basically lean their head forward or tilt themselves forward and are falling. And if you watch people when they like catch their toes on the ground and and stuff like that, it's it's because they're not heel striking in their their walk. Um, does that yeah. sound, does that sound right to you, John? I think so. I think more than the, the heel striking is, is tends to be the balance point is that, you know, most of us, when we stand up, it's a, it's a compromised position. The back is swayed, the stomach's stuck out, the hips are down, you know, that you're, you're, and your back and the weight's all on your heels. And so from that position, when people walk, they just, they throw their leg forward and it lands in front of them. And then it comes to about zero again, you know, and it's sort of this, it's just reaching out and pulling back. If, if they can get their balance up, and you know, their chest up, their hips rotated up, their weight then comes out over their, their ball or their foot, then w- the forward lean is the whole body, you know, just the balance point just comes forward a little bit so that then the leg's driving behind them. So that the you know, landing beneath you and driving behind you while you're walking is a really good exercise to, to then work from that to running that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there another exercise or two you can actually do or suggest you talked about the upper body. Is there something, you know, a lot yeah. of people you're talking about that arm going behind you. So sort of putting your thumb into your armpit, essentially uh, motion or the arm going behind you. Um, is there a way we can improve that sort of, is there a, a go-to exercise for that? Most of what I learned, it, the physical therapists talk about stretching more than exercising. I mean, if the exercise would be probably some, some of the different rows and, pull downs if you had had those but more importantly is is stretching getting the the chest opened up and and relaxed and getting behind the you know strengthening behind your your shoulders and your shoulder blades um you know i will have the kids do uh, phil wharton has a phil wharton's a, a stretching guru he invented that um ai stretching but just an arm swing where you're going you know just bringing your arms behind you open and then and then bring them down, down until you can grab your hands behind you, hold on to that, and pull your shoulders back and down. So you, you're cracking a walnut between your shoulder blades. You know, just hold that for a while, and then try to relax and leave your shoulders roughly there. While you know, while your arms are at your side, um, and then some of the cueing things on the run I'll do is 
a, just a PVC pipe, uh, cut a like two foot length of a half inch PVC pipe, and I've got a number of these, and put that between your elbows and your back, so your elbows are behind your body there. It's a little bit exaggerated, but if you, you know, I, I'll have one for a group of four out on a run, and you pass it around. And so for a while, as soon as you put that in, your balance point changes. Your elbows are back. You have to run a little differently, and you feel, you feel that, that motion of, okay, my elbows are driving behind my body. My, my hand is at my hip. Um, and then when you take it out, you, you have, again, a little bit of arm swing in front of you. But if you're thinking about, okay, that, that elbow is coming back, you got to keep that elbow back. In fact, that's when one of the only cues I think that really works in terms of not not trying to change you know, where your foot strike is or something. But if you think about running tall and elbows back, that's going to cue some of this, this postural change. Right, right. Um, and, and I think related to this idea of sort of getting ready and ramping up to running is, is the idea of a warm up. Like I think a lot of the busy, I guess we'll call them recreational runners or people who aren't competitive runners. Um, often that's, that's the boring part. That's the, you know, the eating your vegetables and, and stuff like <laughs> that. Right. Um, is there, yeah. is there a go-to, like, what would you, what is enough again for this person who's, you know, we're starting with some run walks or we're doing some strides, you know, sort of reasonable duration. What, what does the start of their workup or workout look like? I really like the lunge matrix. Um, Jay mm-hmm. Johnson, yes. Colorado coach proposed this, but it, I mean, it's a 360 motions. Um, and what is one thing I have to cue the kids all the time is to, you know, do it with, with, with purpose, think about what you're doing and, and get full enough extension. I mean, your, your forward lunge should reach out such that when you go down, your knee doesn't come out over your toes, you know, so you're going and, and then you're getting a good hip extension stretch on the other side behind you. So you do, you do that forward lunge, which is getting that hip extension. Then you do a side lunge, which gets into the adductors and then, a then a three quarters back, like reaching back to five o'clock and seven o'clock. And that stretches the hamstring on the front side and then and then straight back and then I add with the straight backs do a you know, a reach out butt kick you know, on the recovery of the back you're getting that that backwards uh, the backwards kick and and glute activation going there um, so do that um, several people recommend then doing some some leg swings too again you're getting getting your hips moving so you just you know straight back and forward swing thinking about uh, particularly on the backswing, people tend to bend their knee and, and then just swing up. Think about keeping your legs straight so that the, the knee is going back, the glute is activating, you know, it's getting the hip motion, not not the lower leg. And then swing back and forth in front of you, get some loosens up on the, the ITB. So just range of motion things like that. And then you're ready to go run. Okay. And as a as a fifty year old, I've been running since nineteen seventy seven. I I really can't run until I do some of those things. I I look I look like a little old man unless I do that to warm up. Yeah, I've always tried to heed the advice of the the people who are still riding or running or whatever, or even in the gym here. You know, there's a couple sixty, even a seventy year old guy that comes into the gym here, and you know, there's some wisdom there. You know, they can tell you where they made mistakes and. You know, that, that PR deadlift wasn't worth it that one time or, you know, I didn't used to warm up either, but now I warm up or whatever, right? Or cooling right. down or all this stuff that, right. you know, again, the, the vegetables of our, of our exercise diet. Is there a rep, you know, like how, how long are we spending or is there a number of times through that lunge matrix or leg swings that, you know, you know, it's obviously a we, little personal, um, but it's yeah. minimum. Yeah. No, no, we just do five, five of each. So it ends up with a, it's 50 lunges. It, takes it takes less than five minutes right and what you know 50 lunges that seems something that's going to be pretty nice you're gonna have some toned legs if you're doing that you know a few times a week yeah at the beginning people i forget that for me it's just range of motion and for the seniors but the the people who start it's like whoa yeah this is a workout and we haven't started running yet yeah, I get that in the gym sometimes, like the, the warm-up routine, which will obviously include lunges and, you know, kicks and Romanian deadlift type, like unweighted sort of airplanes or whatever. And you're going through and you're moving and you get the odd person who's just on the ground knackered after one of them, right? They're not getting back up. And that was the workout. Um, right. Which is fine, too. That's where you start then, right? Because, I mean, if you're That's not, when you, start. If you can't do 50 lunges, then, you know, 50 dynamic lunge jumps into, which is essentially running, right? Like Exactly. 
Right. Yeah, and, and so th- how are they gonna? How can you run a mile if you can't you can't support your weight and balance yourself on those lunges? And it's interesting. The balance part is, as you said, significant too. Beginning that people really, even even some you know thirteen year old girls don't have enough core strength and our our glute meds to to keep their balance. Mm-hmm. Very common. How yeah. they got? How are they gonna run? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was actually a really interesting part in the book, actually talking about the core and the glutes, because you don't often hear a lot about them as they relate to running. Um, mm-hmm. So if you can kind of speak to that a little bit, like what are what are most people missing there? Yeah, I, after doing this research, I, it's surprising to me that well, I don't know why we have not heard about them. I mean, the, right? I mean, the glute, it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we're all about the hamstrings and the and the quads and the calves. You know, basically, that's our, I used to say, you know the three major muscle groups. Even when we're stretching and when we're doing, you know, that, that's what we think of as as our our movers. But but the glute is actually the the primary mover for for the the, the stride. It's um, a, a controversial whether it's the most powerful muscle, but regardless, it is the the prime mover for running, and it's the most fatigue resistant muscle. So it's the one you want to have activated mostly and and it's one designed to do the 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 stride motion the power motion of your leg from you know from foot plant to to lift off behind you the glute drives that leg backwards if your glute isn't activated and the reason it won't be probably is because your hips are are compromised if your hips are are rotated forward that glute is already stretched to the point where it can't it can't do its motion so it, it shuts off and it lets the hamstring do it and so the hamstring is then doing it basically with a rather than your your whole leg motion it's it's you know pulling up the lower leg on on the part the back stride which it's not designed to do i think that's why most runners have have hamstrings problems is mm-hmm. they're using their hamstrings where their where their glutes should have been um the other thing the glutes the, the, the glute mostly the glute medius but the whole the whole scrute system works on balance in conjunction with core which is primarily the ta muscle uh, between your hip bones in the front all, all in your whole hip region should be should be tight enough and strong enough that when you hit the ground it doesn't collapse it doesn't you, you, you see these runners that their hips are, are dropping down back and forth back and forth it, it's very inefficient and it's, it's likely to lead to injury um, so if, if, if once you, when you land, land should be a quick, a quick tight landing, landing, and then when you drive, drive or, or you know, all, 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 all pulsion, pulsion that's going on, you want to drive to drive your body, body forward, your torso forward, forward comes through, through the core region. Core region. So, yeah, yeah, the core, the core, without a strong, without a strong core, it's a firing, firing, firing cannon, cannon in the canoe. You have these huge, strong legs, but you're firing, firing a cannon and driving, driving your backwards on. It's not, it's not. It's tipping, it's tipping you over. It's not propelling you forward. Sorry, we're having like some some minor technical difficulty there for a okay. second. Okay. Okay. You want me to go through there? Do that again a little bit. Uh, yes, but I'm not sure why our headphone is acting up. Um, say something again. Hello, I'm here. Hmm. Hang on two seconds. Thank I'm gonna you. call you. I'm gonna call you right back. For some reason, our headphones. And just double check that, John, that your mic is just plugged in securely and stuff. There, I think we might have just something might have jiggled loose. On my on my side, it, it could be. We're not really okay. sure. <laughs> Sounds better there now. Yeah, this is new, and I just I did notice I I just talked it. Okay, is that better now? Yeah, it's that, much that better now. Better. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry about that. No I'll problem. Tape this or something. Yeah, no problem. That's why we have editing. Yeah. Um, right. yeah. So you were just touching. It was just that last little bit um, on just sort of the the core is what you okay. you talked about the glutes and then it sort of started just as you were right. working on the core. So just the core and the balance of TA. Okay. Okay. So the other thing that the glutes do the the whole glute system, including the glute maximum and glute medius, is on the side. Combined with your your core muscles, the the TA muscle, which is the muscle between your between your hip bones. I mean, if you put your your hands on your hip bone and reach towards the middle below your belly button and cough, <clears throat> then you feel that that contract. That holds everything together on on the front side. Helps hold your hips up. Together, those provide a balance, um, and the balance keeps you upright so that when you land, you're not collapsing back and forth. 
And uh, when your propulsion, when your glute is pushing back your legs, you have these powerful leg muscles. They are pushing through a strong, stable core to push the whole body forward rather than torquing it side to side or twisting your back. So it's like firing a, a cannon from a canoe is what Jada Shari says. If you have powerful muscles, you know, driver muscles, but not the core muscle that stabilize the platform that they're, they're working from. I like that metaphor. So now when you're running, is there a cue that you can use to tell if your glutes are activated? I know whenever I'm doing planks, Peter always comes over and just like pokes me because I'm not activating mine, but I'm not aware <laughs> that I'm not activating them. In my head, I'm doing it perfectly. So how do I know? <laughs> this is a hard one and you gotta, you gotta, work at it i think all the time like you said with when you're doing planks when you're doing i think a bridge is a really good um mm -hmm. really good method to, to to test it and to activate it you know if you if you do a bridge and you feel the the strain in, in the back of your legs your hamstrings are in your lower back your glutes aren't aren't working and so you, you work to so the the bridge um for the glute med uh side leg lift but you need to have somebody again sort of there to, to make sure you're actually straight and people tend to get in and again a little bit of a sitting position with side leg lift and then turn their hips out and it's just lifting straight off their hip flexor again and you, it's usually an aha moment when you get somebody who you get them totally straight and so they almost feels like they you know their leg their, their toes are pulled back from their hip and then you try to lift that, and it's like, oh, okay, you know, that's the glute meat behind your hip bone, and 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 you feel that, you feel that in that context, and then and then do some standing up stuff where you're you're standing tall and and like just lift lift one foot and and drive backward like you're closing a door, you know, slamming a door with that foot, and feel the glute activate in that context, and then doing while while you're walking, and then and then when you're running, eventually you'll feel okay. And you know, I've been working on this for, what, three or four years now, and I'll still, especially you know, out on an easy day, and, and realize that I'm just sort of pulling forward my hip flexors. And, and most of that is you know, getting tall, getting my, you know, you get your chest up and you get your hips up, and, and you think about letting your leg drive backward to heel back, and then you feel like those glutes kick in and that, and that process of, of running. So it's it's just it's it's a process of learning what it feels like to have your glute activated, <laughs> you know what, right. what, what it feels like to, to have it kick in, and and then once you do, it's 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 really quite cool on the run when you realize, oh wow, I'm really, really doing this. I mean, some little things, even like you know, on a treadmill, getting up close to the the front of it, um, and and so you have to sort of drive back, and there's sort of, you can feel the difference between that that landing and driving rather than the reaching and pulling. Or, hmm. or if you have I have a you have to have a little one and pushing a stroller. I found <laughs> that was actually I, I did a lot of miles with my son when I had a stroller, and it was it was interesting to to, to get up you know get your hips up close to the stroller and 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 run. So again, you're not you're not reaching out and kicking it. You're you're landing and driving. Right. I like that. We might have to borrow a child so we can do that. Yeah. Maybe get some <laughs> date, date, get paid while you run or something. You could oh yeah, do yeah. Awesome. Oh, well, that's awesome. Well, John, thank you for joining us. I mean, we covered a lot today. Um, I think we could talk about this for quite a while. And the book covers all of this and more. There's certainly a lot as far as stretching and strength and actual running cues, things to focus on. Um, it's it's a really really well done book i think there's a lot in there but it's not like a tome it's not like an encyclopedia of running so i don't think it's a threatening book um, but it's a very practical book um, so you've done a great job with that i'm wondering in closing is there anything what you feel we've missed or or something you'd like to sort of leave people as homework or takeaways i think probably the most important is getting your mind around what you guys are trying to do. The, the, the consummate athlete concept is that um, runners tend to be like I was most of my life. I, I quote in the book, you know, John Cruck, who's this Philadelphia overweight baseball player who said, you know, he was smoking once and a woman chastised him as an athlete. And he said, I ain't an athlete lady. I'm a ball player. <laughs> <laughs> We tend we tend to say I you know I'm not an athlete I'm a runner you know it, it, it's all just about the tenacity and the lungs and the, and the motor and and that serves as well you know that if you go out into 50 mile weeks you're gonna no matter how uncoordinated you look there's no style points there's no you know it's it's about 
getting yourself over over the finish line. But if we start to think of ourselves as athletes, um, and that it, it's important that we you know do we develop our bodies as you know, athletically, that the running is going to be easier, and you're going to run longer, and and you're probably going to run better. You know, uh, even yesterday was 5K. I took a, a bunch of my kids up there, and it's still fun to be 53 among a bunch of 16-year-olds <laughs> around them. But by, they, they talk about you know, just you, you run, you run lightly, you run comfortably you know, beside them, and it's like it's because I've worked on becoming a, an an athlete in in the sense of the balance and the and some of these core things and it's worth doing um for me it's mostly I, I, what i've done is tried to work it around my lifestyle i i do squats while i'm grinding coffee in the morning and i do stretches in front of the in front of the computer you know kick the chair away and get into a, a kneeling position uh, and during this interview i've been standing up and, and working on being balanced and tall uh, it's just some of the things like that to think about that it's it's worth doing so I feel like I'm getting a preview of Peter in a couple of decades because he does all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lazy That's when awesome. I sit more. Yes. You know, yeah. we, we, we sat through the interview, but we were on the floor sort of stretching on mats here today. So if there was any rustling, awesome. um, hopefully that was what we heard. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So again, thank you, John. Um, you can check out John's website at jonathanbeverly.com on Twitter, jbevrun. That's J-B-E-V-R-U-N. Um, and the book, Your Running Stride, Your Best, your best Stride, Stride, I apologize. Your, your Best Stride. Your Best Stride is on Amazon right now. Yeah. And we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. So yes, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It was awesome catching up. Well, it's my pleasure, and keep up the good work. You too. Take care, sir. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hey, everybody. Molly here, and I want to talk to you about Smart Athlete, which is Peter's coaching company. Do you have a goal, or are you looking to just improve your health, or do you just want to learn how to shred on a bike? Smart Athlete can help between online coaching programs with daily or weekly interactions or even just plans to follow. Smart Athlete offers a three-month, 100% made-for-you training plan that takes your unique schedule, physiology, and abilities into consideration rather than just throwing you into some plan that might have worked for a pro. Or if you're looking for more one-on-one time, the Smart Athlete skill sessions and clinics are available in Ontario, Canada, but also we periodically travel to locations including California, British Columbia, and Virginia, New Jersey, and East Coast in general. So requests for camps, guided sessions, and Skype consults are available over at smartathlete.ca, or you could email info at smartathlete.ca today. Definitely check it out. And now, back to the show. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford, and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast... Or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time. <laughs>